Hey, it's Lauren. Thank you so much for listening to The Afterlight. Enjoy the episode. The Afterlight Institute proudly presents Activating Your Inner Genie. In this course, you will learn to build a strong foundation, activate a supportive mindset, transform into your future self, awaken to what you truly want, spot signs and symbols from your spirit guides, and learn how to attract abundance ongoing. If you are ready to make the rest of your life the best of your life, this course is for you. It's time to create a life of abundance and prosperity. Step into your power by activating your inner genie with Lauren Grace. Register now at theafterlightinstitute.com. Ignite the light, magic, and miracles within. Grace here and welcome to the afterlight. My guest today is Emily Rose Wheeler. She is a consciousness facilitator. Emily, the founder of Mystic Rose Medicine, helps her clients build self-awareness by cultivating emotional intelligence. As a practicing hypnotist and Reiki master, she works with her clients to heal from karmic wounds, PTSD, anxiety, and depression. With a comprehensive strategy of reframing limiting beliefs, deconstructing false narratives, and empowering self-compassion, her clients leave feeling self-assured, confident, and authentic. Emily believes that healing must take place on all levels, physical, emotional, and spiritual, creating an all-inclusive holistic approach that generates balance within the whole human experience. She's joining me today to talk about regression, channeling through hypnosis, extraordinary states of consciousness, and well, who knows what else we will get into. Emily, welcome to the show. Great to meet you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So I'm sort of boring in the sense that I like to start every single episode the same way because everyone's story is completely unique about how they got into the field that they're now in or how they even discovered spirituality in general. So how did your spiritual journey start? Have you always been connected? Was this something that sort of came out of, out of the blue, let's say? I've always had a very inquisitive mind um, and I was raised Catholic. And there were certain things I loved about it, um, the routines and the traditions and the rituals. The rituals really got me. I loved that I could go to college and I could call my dad on Sunday and we could talk about mass because it was the same everywhere in the world. Every Sunday we talked about the same thing. And so that connection was really great. But it never really resonated with the origin story, the creation story that um, the Bible shares. And I also grew up with a lot of anxiety and depression and a lot of healing that needed to be done. And my parents, the best of their ability, with the knowledge that they had, um, sent me to therapists and went on anti-anxiety medication, anti-depression medication. I got diagnosed with ADHD. ADD, OCD, um, chronic anxiety and depression. So, um, and then around the age of, I'd say 21, 22, I realized, you know, I had been thinking since I was 14, I was going to be on these medications my entire life, just thinking that this was normal mm-hmm. and that I would always be this way. And something just kind of woke up in me and I started researching what it meant to go to a natural path and what it meant to actually heal my body and heal my trauma and not just keep putting a bandaid on it because some of the medications were great in the sense that I felt nothing, but I also felt nothing. So I had people telling me, you know, I don't like you on this medication. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's not an easy thing to hear when like you're struggling with depression and people saying they don't like you and that's what's helping you cope. So it was a really big struggle. And then um, I found a cognitive behavioral therapist who really helped me recognize that I didn't have OCD. I didn't have, um, you know, ADHD, ADD, like all of these were surface level symptoms of issues. 
And yeah, I like things really tidy and clean, but what that really comes from is perfectionism um, mm. and abuse from feeling the need to people please and be perfect. It, it didn't actually stem from like clinical OCD. Right. So that led me on a journey of wanting to do everything natural um, and sticking to as much holistic medicine as I can and taking care of my body. Um, as well as exploring religion, in my view. My dad has always been, uh, I guess you could call a searcher or a wanderer, um, always trying to find something that resonated. And I remember when I was around nine or 10, he went on a big spiritual journey of researching Mormonism, Judaism, Buddhism, um, Christianity, Catholicism specifically, and so many other things and he landed on Catholicism and um, my mom resonated with it and so you know we were Christians and we became Catholic and which I mean they're the same thing but they're not the same thing you know same umbrella yeah. <laughs> and uh, so when I left I left the church in my early 20s and I kind of went on my own spiritual journey and I got really into witchcraft um, uh, being, knowing that I can be the alchemist of my own life and that I have all of this power within me instead of giving it away to s someone else um, who I need to go to confession for, to pray for forgiveness and, and bring insight. And it was incredible. And so a mix between that and Buddhism for a couple years. And then I finally went back to a Christmas mass. And I remember going in and thinking this is going to be great like it's going to be nostalgic and i'm interested to see with my new lens with my fresh eyes what it is that resonated about this for me for so long and um i i always sat through an entire mass and i thought this is this is witchcraft this is all witchcraft <laughs> like drinking the blood of christ and <laughs> kneeling and standing and i'm like no wonder i loved it right there's this like innate ritual that comes from paganism yeah that resonated so much it just the patriarchal you know mumbo jumbo stuff just didn't resonate with me so i took with it and the appreciation for that and left the rest um and i still say if you know if i was christian if that was my belief structure i would be catholic because i love that structure um yeah. but it just not it just didn't resonate anymore and so it led me into really recognizing, you know, slowly unpeeling an onion of trauma, recognizing um, what's mine and what's not, and what's the belief of someone else that's been put on me, mm -hmm. um, and to not be a victim. Because I had spent so much time in this place of like, everything is happening to me. Mm -hmm. um, and interesting, you know, as soon as I got rid of that mindset, things got a whole lot better. <laughs> so between yeah. taking control of my mental health, um, my spiritual belief structure, it really guided me into this, into this line of work. Funny, you know, when you were talking that whole, you know, thing where it's like when you're pointing at someone else, there's three fingers pointing back at you, right? And uh, I think that a big part about what I see in a lot of the spiritual people that I do speak with is that there's this self-reliance, there's this trust within their own truth and their almost their awareness of the need to take responsibility for their life and, and their direction. Where do you think that self-reliance, that sort of awareness kicked in for you was it always there did you kind of have a moment where you were maybe even medicating and thinking this there's got to be more than this where you kind of had a flashback to your future and went or a flash to your future and thought you know there's got to be something that that shifts here or it will always remain the same I mean where did that kind of come from do you think yeah I would say that innately right from like conception my soul and and um, returning to home in my heart and what that means has always been self-authenticity and self-reflection and so i remember being young and having adults talk to me and tell me you are so old for your age or 
you know, being in my early twenties and hanging out with my first roommate was 55, the same age as my mom. <laughs> and my mom always was like, what are you doing hanging out with all these older people? But I was always so much more drawn to um, what people with more wisdom and insight and who have, you know, lived longer lives and made more mistakes and been able to learn from those. And I found that with conditioning and with trauma, um, I learned a lot of unhealthy coping mechanisms that um, were very harmful to other people, whether it be lying um, or manipulation. Um, so there was this, I could, I could give such good insight outside of myself. But as soon as I was in a, a situation that actually involved myself, I completely went into conditioning and ego. And so I spent, um, I actually had an interesting reversion around the age of 21, um, 20, I'd say 2021, 20, I became more immature than I was at 16. I was let out into the world. I went to college on my own and um, I had, I really learned I had no coping skills. I had been on medication for so long. Um, I hadn't dealt with my trauma. I hadn't talked to the right therapists. And I was a tornado and I feel bad for anybody that was in my path <laughs> because it was, yeah, not a, I had a lot of healing to do. And it hit me um, like a bag of bricks compounding. The universe sent me people that put me in my place. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I had a friend who at the age of 20, she had a two-year-old. And she was relying on me to babysit for her and make sure that she had childcare to go to work. And I was off doing God knows what I was doing. But I remember her calling me because I didn't, I slept in, I didn't go to help her out. And she, you know, had said, I understand that you're not in my shoes, but I have responsibilities. I have someone else to take care for. And if you're not going to be responsible enough to make this commitment and stick to it, then I need you to leave. Like, this isn't healthy for me. Um, and that happened a few times. I had people really tell me and put me in my place that like, you need to hold yourself accountable and you need to stick to your word. And those little things gave me so much self-reflection that I didn't ever mean to do anything. It was never purposeful necessarily, right? Lying uh, came from people pleasing. I thought that if people, if I lied and told them that, you know, my version of the truth, they would be happy. Little did I know I, I'm the worst liar. Like I'm, <laughs> people could see right through me. Um, and now, you know, if you call, ask me to call Comcast and try to get my bill lowered. Like I would hand the phone to my husband and say, I, I absolutely not. <laughs> um, but it was, it was a, a little shortly after college um, with a few of these compounding things that I finally recognized that I really need to take control of my life. And I didn't know at the time how I was going to do it, but I knew it took practice. So it took really good friends who would hold that space for me and I would lie to them and I would immediately say, you know what, I need to take accountability. I just lied and I want to practice telling the truth. And they held that space and were like, thank you for being honest, you know? Um, and I couldn't do that with everybody. You can't tell everyone, hey, I just lied. They'll be like, what, what are you talking? Why would, that's such a strange thing to say or what have you, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, what do you mean? And so those, that really helped support me mm. in knowing that I had people who wanted to help me change, who wanted to help me better myself. Um, and everything else just slowly compiled on top of each other. It sounds to me like there was a lot of reprogramming that you were doing a lot of self-awareness, a lot of like reflecting on your behavior, acting in a certain way, reflecting, changing, pivoting along the way, along the journey. So, you know, I feel like at the moment, especially during COVID times, there's a lot of 
you know, heightened emotions. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of people everywhere, including children that are medicating, that are going through difficult times, that are being diagnosed with HD, ADHD and ADD and OCD and all these things that they probably don't have. I guess my, my question to you, and it's sort of a big one, and, you know, we don't need to spend too much time on this today because we could probably talk about it for hours and hours. But I mean, how do people break the cycle of that? You know, how do they maybe help to sort of show the, show the way out for someone else, or how do they help that within their own selves or their children, you know, or does that change have to really come from within? Like, does that person need to take responsibility and for children, you know, maybe their journey is going to take a little bit longer than others. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I have been trying to figure out the answer to this um, Mm. because I've learned a lot from my own needs, as well as um, seeing how people react to certain things that I help them with. And I've learned it's always better to ask a question than it is to tell someone what to do. Mm. So um, I have, you know, so I have a great group of friends uh, that I'm kind of the go-to person that they come to when they have a problem. I've always been that person, even when I was very unself-aware and my ego was in the way due to conditioning. But people always came to me because I could always give better advice to them than what I could take for myself. (laughs) And I'm finding that, you know, in the beginning of my practice, I opened up my doors to everyone that I loved. And I was like, let me practice on you. Let me try this. Let me try this. Let me try this. And I really learned um, that if people don't want to do it, they're not going to. If they don't think they need to, they're not going to. Um, If they have attachment issues and they are codependent and they're single and they want to work with you and then all of a sudden some wonderful person comes into their life, they're going to drop you because they think, oh, well, I don't need that anymore. I have a crutch that's going to fulfill this, right? And then we find out later, a year later, they're like, oh, this is coming back up it never actually got resolved we just put a band-aid on it um but yeah i i honestly believe that people need to come to this realization on their own and all it takes is one tick of awareness like as long as someone recognizes there's something i want to change something they don't need to know what it is they don't need to know how to fix it but just bringing that awareness opens the door to let them find a healer or a body worker or a psychiatrist or whoever it is that they want to work with a shaman to guide them into the work that they need to do. But mm-hmm. whenever I tell anyone, I know in the past, well, you should do this. It never worked. So now I ask questions and I say, how does that serve you? How does it feel in your body? Is it something that actually aligns with your values? And then they're getting the answers themselves and that helps them open the door a little bit more because they feel empowered. That's a beautiful response. So I know that, you know, a big part about the work that you do is obviously hypnotherapy. So can we talk a bit about now about how you got into hypnotherapy and then, you know, in a little while, I'd also like to talk to you about your work in reframing beliefs and regression and the like, but when did you first get introduced to hypnotherapy did you happen to go to somebody and you had a session and you were like damn this is this is what I've been waiting for or was it even that cool did you have that kind of aha moment (laughs) um it is a cool uh an interesting story so backtracking to before 2020 um, 2018, I traveled to New Zealand to look at schools and study abroad for a naturopathy program um, and learn natural medicine and not have FDA guidelines. And just it was the most incredible program. I was so excited. I got accepted and I was supposed to leave in February of 2020. Um, my mom had gotten breast cancer in January. And I remember getting a lot of flack from people because I said, I'm staying home. There's something pulling me. I know not to go. And um, 
you know, my family needs me. Like this is, this is more important to me. And people were saying, oh, you're just scared and this and this and this. And I'm like, no, the universe has a plan. Everything happens for a reason. <laughs> a month later, COVID yeah. happened. <laughs> and, I was, <clears throat> and I was getting emails from the college saying like, we are sending all international students back to their country. And um, I just, I remember looking up and saying, thank you, because yes. I would have gone through hell trying to get there, been worried about my mom and my family, yeah. just to have all the stress of being put back home. <laughs> and um, oh, yeah, so I was like, okay, deal, I get it, awesome. And then um, I went to my family medium, and she is always right. Um, with her guidance about things. And I said, I need to know what to do next. And she said, okay. And, you know, she went through and she's like, were you supposed to go to a different country? Like, were you supposed to learn something? And I was like, yeah, I was, it's not happening anymore. And um, she said, have you ever looked into hypnosis? And I was like, the thing where people like cluck like chickens on stage? No, I haven't looked into that at all. She said, oh, no, it's way more than that. She said, I really, really think you should look into this. I really think it would serve you. And um, and I trusted her. You know, I went from a business mindset of I'm going to get in debt first, travel, do some study abroad, study for three years, and then open um, a wellness center that has retreats and all of these wonderful services to I'm going to do hypnosis. I'm going to start out debt free and I'm going to build my business based on an income, right? Everything happens for a reason. Like this path right. just was so much better for me. Um, and, and I had just gotten married. Um, and my husband knew, like we knew going into this, we were going to be doing long distance for the first three years of our marriage because he knew how important this was to me. Um, and so, you know, and now we look at it and we're like, how would we have spent three years without each other? Like it's, it, it all worked out so well. Um, and my mom is healthy and like, yeah, it, it couldn't, the universe definitely had a plan. Um, and so I came back to Portland because at the time I was up in Washington living with my mom and dad and helping them out around the house and everything that they need. And I toured a few different schools here, went to one of them, and then my um, my inquisitive mind really kicked in, and I just started researching everything I could on different processes and getting different certifications and different type of techniques and going to other hypnotherapists and understanding their processes and seeing what I like, what I didn't like and seeing how I can put this into my own practice and really just creating my own processes that resonate with me um, yeah. so that I'm always in a place of alignment rather than reading someone else's scripts or doing someone else's process just for the sake of what they saw as results. It makes sense to me that you, knowing you now so well, that you would have found your own path and created your own sort of concoction of you know, processes and, and, and all that. But before we get to that, I do want to go back just for a quick second, because I feel like there is a really interesting answer to come from you. <laughs> How do you kind of, I guess, understand that it's important to pivot when your heart is so set on doing something, you know, when you, you know, like you put the application and you did all the research, you sorted out your relationship, you did all the thing. I'm sure you had your flights booked, like, you know, you had all these things in motion and then you decided to pivot. I mean, one of the things that I see, even with the people that I work with is that they get stuck because they go, Oh no, I've committed to this all my alarm bells are saying, this is not the way, but I've already paid the deposit or I've already signed the contract or I already told my friends I'm doing it. And so therefore I'm just going to stick with it. And for me, I know that when I have pivoted in life, that's when the magic has come. And I know that that's just what's happened to you as well. So how do you kind of get the, the wherewithal, the courage, the bravery to be able to listen to your inner truth and pivot when, you know, the stakes are quite high, when you're so fully invested and when 
you know, very often most people would go, girl, just jump in. You already said you were going to do that. You're be a woman of your word, you know, <laughs> thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, you know, I definitely have never thought of it as bravery. Um, you're not the first person to say that, but in my own mind, it always just felt like it is what it is. Um, there was some, some triggering around people telling me like, oh, you're just, uh, you're giving this up because you're getting married. Like you shouldn't give up your goal to go to New Zealand because you're getting married and, um, or you're just using your mom as an excuse and, and really like having to sit with that in my body and recognize what of that is accurate and what of it isn't. And the truth is none of it was accurate, mm. right? I chose to stay home because I wanted to for my family, um, because that's where I felt I needed to be. God forbid something actually happened to her. And I was in a different country, you know, 18 hours away or however long that flight is like, mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. Um, and I'm young and I know the opportunities come. And so that was really difficult. Um, being around people and it was mostly my workplace customers that I had talked to who are regulars and knew me and holding that ground and not letting their bias opinions and judgments affect me was difficult. Um, but I still wouldn't necessarily think I was brave. It just felt like I was, I was practicing standing in my authenticity. And at the time that was really difficult for me to do. I was still doing a lot of practicing. It was not as innate as it is now. Um, and as far as the pivot, I really started recognizing around 2019 that anything I resist persists 10 times fold. And I am bullheaded. I am, um, Yet my husband says it's the it's it's the his favorite thing about me is that I know what I want, <laughs> which is a really nice way of saying I get <laughs> I get what I want right I uh, I have I have strong belief structures in what integrity looks like what ethics look like um, how what sensory needs I want in my house and how I want all of the lamps on but not overhead lights and what have you like I know totally what I want. get that. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but I also recognize when I truly believe everything happens for a reason. And so as soon as that happened, I recognized there's something outside of my perception that I cannot see that I need to surrender to. And if I don't surrender to that, I am going to be miserable. And there was a period of grieving. I did, I did grieve that loss of what it meant to travel abroad and have new experiences and also a new sense of self-identity, um, you know, recently getting married and choosing to go off on my own and what it meant to actually be in a place all by myself and all of the wonderful adventures that come with that. But I also recognized that there was a greater purpose that I wasn't aware of. And I was willing to be open to that. And I think that's where it comes from. Um, most of us, and even in my past, I wasn't willing to surrender to what I knew to be true. I wanted to, to fit it in a box and structure it and say like, it has to look like this. And now I know I do make plans, right? I, I know what I want, but I also give myself grace and forgiveness and know that that's probably gonna change. And it, and it may not, but it could absolutely, what I think it's going to look like in 10 years might actually manifest a little bit differently and that's okay. Um, and allowing that space for change to occur, knowing that nothing is, is concrete. This episode has been brought to you by the Afterlight Institute. Ignite the light, magic, and miracles within such a beautiful way of putting all of that, you know, I think that you hit the nail on the head as well, that, you know, when you're pivoting, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be feeling elated or, you know, have this euphoria of like going into a new direction. There's very often going to be a period of transition where you're, where you are grieving what could have been, where you are grieving that other side of the, 
the coin or the other road you could have gone down and, and the things that come with that. But, you know, like you said, when you have that trust, when you know that, you know, sometimes things come full circle, like it could very well be that in five years, you find yourself in New Zealand with your man going to this school, like who knows how things work out. But I guess just kind of being patient, like you said, and and being graceful and kind to yourself on your own journey. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we have is that we are, we're so hard on ourselves. And, you know, that's even kind of a theme from the beginning of our conversation together with all of these labels and all of these, you know, sort of things that people were trying to say was wrong with you. You know, there was nothing wrong with you. You're just working your, your way out. You know, you're just finding your own path and maybe you had to go through some stuff to kind of find who you really truly were. So, you know, maybe it, it was tough, but you got to where you needed to be. So, you know, I guess it's important to be able to find that, find that truth within ourselves. And speaking of that, you know, finding your own process in relation to the work that you're doing. How was that? Did you kind of have to try things out and go, oh, no, this doesn't work for me or go to somebody and, and they did something and you're like, I'm definitely going to incorporate that. But when you tried it out, it just wasn't really as authentic or didn't work in the same way. I mean, really a big part of your journey, what I'm getting from you is that you seem to be self-aware, trust things, trust, try things out, pivot, try things out, pivot, and then, you know, kind of create your own way of doing it. Yeah, uh, I pivot a lot. <laughs> um, great. Yeah, it's be part of like, uh, it's definitely part of my identity. And it's something that I've learned to accept. Because again, nothing ever really turns out the way I think it's going to. And the moment I actually started allowing that and using that as a resource as an opportunity to learn and fail and try something new, was the moment that my life got a whole lot easier. Um, and I started able to take control in a sense of what those opportunities look like rather than trying to control the situation as a whole. And so I started out my education, you know, to be frank, wasn't that great. It was very basic. It taught how to read scripts. And I just, I innately was like, this isn't good enough. I need more. Um, I, I have a Gemini moon um, and I'm a Pisces rising. So I have a lot of questions. I'm very inquisitive. Um, and I have like four planets in Scorpio. So I have a lot of stuff around wanting to see, you know, what's this, what's this and, and the macro and the micro looking into the unknown and like things that are, you know, most make most people uncomfortable make me excited you know i'm like oh let's you know that's really morbid and i'm like is it <laughs> is it morbid i thought it was really great and like we can discuss this philosophically and people are like no that makes me really uncomfortable um <laughs> trigger so yeah <laughs> so being able to recognize that i really wanted to learn more and then as i learned through processes and doing a few conventions and summits getting my regression certification so that I was professionally trained um, was really important to me because beforehand I was told oh you can do regression and something just didn't sit right I just had a feeling that there was more to be done and I'm so glad I went through proper training because it teaches you how to you know guide versus leading and false memories and checking and rechecking to make sure things are released or if there's another facet to this trauma that needs to be released. And I actually learned that from Roy Hunter, who is very analytical. And so his process um, goes into inductions, which is bringing us into the body. And then actually checking and saying, you know, to the subconscious mind, are you on a scale from one to 100, 100 being um, as deep as you can go into hypnosis and one being um, not in hypnosis at all and, and allowing the subconscious mind to answer. And at first I thought, this is so cool. I love, how, you know, my analytical mind loved this. But then when I actually put it into practice, I found that half of my clients weren't responding um, to some of the 
messages that I wanted them to. And so I created my own process of doing a similar outline, but making it all intuitive. And so now I do eye tests to see how deep people are and see if they can open their eyes. They're not deep enough. If they can't open their eyes because I suggest that they can't, then they're deep enough. And so finding other ways to allow my clients who aren't analytical to really step into their intuitive process and feel empowered in that, rather than them leaving a session feeling like they couldn't fit the description or they couldn't answer the questions or like they did something wrong when they didn't do anything wrong. And that kind of led me into just an exploration of everything. Um, I also had friends who were meeting with me every week for like three, the first three or four months um, while I was in school and then a little bit out of school. And they let me just practice. And so I started with just pulling up a script and I would read it. And then the next week I'd be like, did that work? <laughs> How do you feel? Did it not work? <laughs> um, and then that led into me creating actual sessions for people, writing out an entire script, which I was working harder, not smarter. I was spending hours per session and like, that's not reasonable. And then I fell into actually having an outline for my sessions, but not needing to follow it. So when I do parts integration or regression, I have my induction. I have a few that I've written that resonate with me. Um, and then I have the body of my work and that could go in so many different ways, depending on what the client needs. And we won't know until we get into hypnosis. And so now I just follow those guidelines um, in whatever facet it takes me. And it feels so much more authentic. I'm not spending hours of work outside each session preparing mm -hmm. for a future session. And I feel, I feel really authentic in it. I, I feel as though I'm intuitively working. I'm trusting my guidance and I'm not trying to push my, like that programming of perfectionism and wanting to just do the right thing. I'm doing what works for me, not necessarily what's right according to someone else's curriculum. You know, what's funny is as you're speaking, you know, you did mention regression, you know, which we know is going back and possibly reliving past lives and things of that nature. And we can talk a little bit about that in a minute. But before we go to that, you know, time permitting, I do want to talk to you a bit about the channeling through hypnosis. And it's funny because, you know, I mentioned that you do channel through channeling through hypnosis, but it sounds to me like when you're being really intuitive with the way that you want to run the session, you are also possibly channeling information, higher knowing in that session. So is it all kind of channeling? I never really thought about hypnosis being almost like a channeling from the, you know, the person who's also doing the session. Yeah. Um, I channel all the time and I don't realize it until afterwards. I'll have a friend call me and I'll work them through something and they just keep saying, oh my goodness, you're so wise and this and that. And then all of a sudden I think, what was I saying? <laughs> yeah. like I, what was I saying that was so profound? And then I realized, oh, cause it, it wasn't me. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I was, I step into, I, I, we call them anchors in my work right? Like um, whether it be an anchor to relax or to allow your mind to go into higher states of consciousness or what have you. And I think my body is anchored in naturally that when someone is in need of service and of guidance, I naturally just really step into that calm space and I'm able to be really present, more present than I'm able to be um, in, my own, in my normal day-to-day -day life. Um, with myself actually and so even channeling for other people like that it's really it just happens um but funny enough when i go to channel for myself i re recognize there's still my own healing to really help combat that and allow that to come through so it's not just for other people but i'm allowing myself that i'm self-deserving of that right um, so right now I do a lot of my channeling work through either guided sessions that I create or by going to someone else who helps facilitate that, which also for me is great self-care because I'm taking care of other people all the time. So having someone else take care of me rather than me take care of myself feels 
like it resonates more. Mm -hmm. And as far as clients channeling, you know, um, I'm, I'm definitely channeling wisdom and insight and I intuitively just know where to go um, because spirit moves through me and helps me guide in that way. But my clients are channeling in a whole different dimension. You know, um, I'm experiencing like claircognizant where I just have a knowing and I'm speaking of that knowing. Mm-hmm. Whereas my clients are one of two things. They're either completely, um, one of them explained it as though their consciousness was on their shoulder and they were aware, they were the observer of their body, the observer of what was being channeled, but they were not in control of mannerisms or what have you. And I've had other people explain it as though they're not necessarily associated, meaning they are not personally channeling, but they are in direct contact with their guide or with their higher perception of power. I have a really great story. One of my first clients that I had, um, I was actually practicing this on, and she's my go-to. She's she's a, a hypnotist as well, and she always lets me practice anything new that I build or I try and has complete confidence. It just lets me go for it. So she's always a great reference point to what's working and what's not. And we went into her session and she wanted to channel for higher guidance, her perception of a higher power um, to help her with fear and scarcity. And her whole demeanor changed. I said, I would like to speak to what this person's name defines as a higher power. And when you are present, say, I am here. And when they said, I am here, their whole body stood up very straight. Their posture got really good. And their voice just was incredibly smooth. Um, It grounded, like really strong in their voice. Um, It was beautiful. And I said, what is your name? And they said, I have no name. And I said, okay. And I said, this person's really struggling with with scarcity and fear, fear around money, um, and they have more than enough money, but always a worry that it's going to be taken away or something that will happen. Um, And it was amazing. And it gave me chills. And I still think about it. And I use this word for myself a lot too, this terminology. And they said, fear is an illusion of the mind. Mm -hmm. It is not real when we have scarcity mindset of thoughts, right? We can actively have finances or not have finances, but it all comes down to mindset and recognizing what we need to be fearful of versus what we just need to observe and recognize. And they said to her, what would it be like if you were held? How would it feel to be held by the universe and to know that the illusions can leave your mind. Um, and I just, they said it so much more prophetically than I can possibly say, but it was really inspiring and it was really wonderful the way that they laid it out for her and her process and what she needed to hear and know, um, especially in her circumstances, knowing that she did have finances. Um, she had regular clients coming in, she had everything that she needed but this mindset around fear of it being taken away was only an illusion and it did not serve her. I had another client who, very different experience, but very profound, began by channeling and then moved to that outward perspective of speaking to a guide. And then she had experienced four different guides in one session. And she had explained how she actually went into a place between worlds and she was between the 3D realm and the etheric realm and that the asteroids were giggling at her and laughing um, like with joy, kind of like a little kid excited to see her and that the stars were speaking to her. And she had uh, she was so in tune 
with her abilities that doing the session was almost a little more difficult because she was like, there's so much to see here. There's so much that wants to be seen. There's so much trying to speak to me and talk to me and give me advice and guidance. And so, um, and having so many guides come through rather than just one, which was really unique, was a challenge to make sure that she felt like she saw what she needed to see. She heard what needed to be conveyed to her while also sticking to the focus around the questions that she had to make sure that those get answered in whatever facet um, is right for her in this time and space. So that was really incredible. When people are doing a session with you, so do they come in, they've got a question or a focus, you run through your script, you bring them into a meditative state. I guess one question I have is, does the session sort of run itself? Are you aware of what's going to happen next? Or do you kind of intuitively guide them? And then the other question I have for you is whether or not people can remember all the information that they're getting after. Like, for example, you know, your first client that you, that you mentioned here, when she was channeling this other being, this no-named entity, did she come out of that reading and remember everything or did she have a recording to kind of help her? Yes. That's the question. <laughs> yeah. So clients come in for this kind of session and there's not a lot of intake that I need. Now, if this is built to build other sessions, like they want these answers so that they know how to move forward, I'll have them do a full intake. But if there's like, I just want a one-off session, I want to channel and get some guidance. It's a really easy step. I have them come in with three questions. We, re, um, we cultivate these questions in a way that are going to be most serving. So they may ask, um, should I stay in this relationship? And instead I may say, it may be better serving to ask how is this relationship serving me or disserving me, right? So making sure that they're really clear and direct because our guides can sometimes give us straightforward answers and other times it can feel kind of cryptic because they're like, mm -hmm. you need to do the work, right? <laughs> so we want to find that place yeah. to give them the most answers possible and most guidance. And then um, yeah, I bring them through an induction that I feel will serve them, whether they're an analytical or um, creative mind. And I never know what's going to happen. And I'm always surprised because I have certain questions and some questions I ask in three different ways. And I've actually had guides in the past of a client will say, I already answered that. And they get really testy with me. Um, whereas I have, I have other guides who come through when a client is channeling and they give a different answer to each question because I asked it differently, they see a new perspective. So it just depends on the client. Sometimes their guides wanna answer more and sometimes they don't. Um, and as far as, I'm sorry, what was the second question? Oh yeah, whether or not they remember the things that they're mm -hmm. they're getting, especially if they're channeling for the first time and they're being the observer. Yeah, do they recall that session? Yeah, so actually really interesting. The one who had channeled someone with no name and said their consciousness felt like it was on their shoulder, they remembered the feeling in their body that felt complete, that felt whole, that felt as though there was no human trauma, no human like anchor just complete peace and love but they couldn't necessarily remember all of the minute details they had a very quick overdraft of knowing that it was empowering um, but i do record these sessions as well as write out the answers as much in detail as i can keep up with mm -hmm. and send those over um, so that they can reread them with their normal conscious waking mind mm -hmm. and be able to process that. Um, and others are able to remember a lot. They're able to come out and um, like the client with asteroids, they were able to come out and say, I knew everything and this is what was happening. And this isn't what I said out loud, but I know I, I experienced. So mm -hmm. I think it's really unique to the individual. 
I do also ask, um, is the client permitted to know everything that happened today? Because sometimes things can get ingrained on a subconscious level, but they don't need to necessarily know what happened. Um, I personally like them to know, but when we're working with this kind of work, their higher self, their guides, their perception of higher power is always going to know what's best for them more than I am with my human mind. So I always validate that and I listen to that. And if a client comes out and they say, I don't remember a lot, I will give them a gist, but I will not give them all of the really minute details. And within the next few weeks, those clients come back to me and they say, they basically understand what happened. Like things came up to them and showed them and they were able to learn those experiences for themselves Mm -hmm. and bring that awareness, which they needed to do, right? Um, Whereas maybe if I had told them exactly right right afterwards, they wouldn't have integrated that properly or um, their ego might've gotten in a way. So I always let whatever that higher power um, has to say to make sure it's resonating with the client at all times. It sounds to me as well that it's even, well, very important to make sure that when you are choosing someone like yourself to do this kind of work that you are aware of, you know, you mentioned the word ethics earlier, that you're aware of, you know, the way that they like to do things, because I was always under the impression that we would not be given information that we couldn't handle or wasn't right for us. But you know, maybe there's a possibility that somebody who is doing this kind of work, they might not be as so conscientious as you are of knowing that not everything needs to be given to the client in the same way. So, you know, when, when you're choosing to work with somebody, how would you recommend that people sort of make those decisions? Do they check them out on social media? Do they have a consultation? Do they look at reviews? You know, what's kind of your go-to for the people that you've worked with previously? I'm naturally an educator. So I really like to tell my clients everything I'm doing and their options. I actually give my clients options. I say, we could do this or this. I think it's this one but what's resonating with you? And they're like, I want to do this one. And I'm like, okay, awesome. And then if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, they say, okay, I should have listened to you. Maybe I want to do this one. And I'm like, okay, awesome. We'll do that. And so I want them to feel empowered. I want them to feel like they're in control, but I 100% agree with you. I think we always get what we can handle and we don't get more. And so if my client comes out of a session and they don't remember anything, they weren't meant to remember it. And I take that as um, their higher self guiding them and what they needed. So yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, no, it does. And I guess the thing is that if somebody is, you know, interested in working with you or interested in looking at other hypnotherapists that maybe they, Mm -hmm. they could have some questions prepared that they want to make sure that that person is thinking about in advance, for example. First, I would start with depth levels. There are some hypnotists that believe you only need to work in light alpha or very light theta. There are other hypnotists that believe you want to be in like the Elman state, which is, um, you know, like the deepest level, like delta. And so if you're someone who wants to go really, really deep, I would ask them and say, do you work in delta or do you prefer to work in light states of trance? Most of the people and peers that I know work in those very light states. I work in either or. It depends on the kind of work we're doing. More often than not, I like to take my clients really deep, um, especially in the first few sessions, because they, if they don't know what to expect, they haven't been to hypnosis before, it really helps them understand what it feels like in their body and to notice you know, we're not necessarily going anywhere. Our conscious mind is still present. It's just observing rather than judging or making decisions. I would also ask what their techniques are. I think it's really important for people to know and feel empowered when they're working with someone, whether it's just all role play therapy, which is when we step into our abuser's shoes or someone who harmed us so that we can recognize their own trauma. And it doesn't absolve them of anything, but it helps us create oneness and recognize, okay, I see that, I forgive you, 
And I also recognize it wasn't my fault. Like this wasn't a personal vindictive thing. This is this own person taking it out on me. Um, or parts therapy, parts integration, where we're looking at a part that is procrastinating and a part that wants to be productive. And more often than not, the time that's procrastinating or the part that's procrastinating may feel like it can't succeed, therefore it doesn't try because it thinks it's going to fail. Um, or it's protecting someone from doing too much work because it thinks they need more rest. And so we work with these parts to get them on board and negotiate to make sure that they're doing what's best for the client. Um, and it's like, like we're the captain of our ship and we have all these little parts that are the crew members and they work for us, they protect us. But sometimes we need to teach them how to protect us uh, and how to do things the way we need them to be done. Mm -hmm. um, as well as regression, which we've talked about. And so asking them, do you read from a script? Do you write those scripts? Um, because that is more important. I think that you can absolutely read scripts as long as they resonate with you and make sure that they're your process, not just you regurgitating what someone else wrote, um, or are they creating intuitive sessions? Are they are they feeling guided to what you need and work with these different techniques? Um, do they use EMDR or EFT, which is either tapping for releasing traumatic events um, or desensitizing events with eye movement? All of these things are really great tools to help people know um, and feel into the techniques that their practitioner can give them. One thing I wanted to ask you before we, you know, sort of wrapped up our conversation here was a bit about reframing limiting beliefs. So you were sort of talking there a bit about beliefs and a bit about, you know, thoughts that we have and things. And, and you did mention in your first client there about the beliefs around scarcity and fear. So I guess my question to you is, you know, I find that a lot of people are getting in their own way based on their limiting beliefs, based on the thoughts that they have that aren't true most of the time that are reoccurring. You know, we can go back to that fear-based thought when, you know, you were kind of reminded that fear is an illusion of the mind. And I guess my question to you is, do you have any strategies that people can maybe integrate that can help them to reframe their limited beliefs? Do you think it's something that they need to do through hypnotherapy or can they do it through replacing thoughts using affirmations and the like? Yeah. You know, I think everyone's a little bit different. I think affirmations work great for some people, but for people who have compounded trauma, you know, if they tell themselves they're beautiful in the mirror, they're not going to believe that. And no matter how many times they tell themselves, there's something in them that completely disagrees um, and is going to resist and fight that as hard as it can. And so I would say affirmations do work for some, um, but I think a really great way that we can make new neurological connections in our brain and pathways to challenge those limiting beliefs is really empowering. So asking a question, you know, let's say you're in an unhealthy relationship. It's like, why do I feel I need to be in this relationship? What do I want out of this relationship? Is this person capable of giving me this? Or is this something that I'm thinking and idealizing that they can do? Am I trying to control the situation? Um, what can I control and what can't I control? You know, asking these questions around problems that we have puts us into the place of being a victor rather than a victim. Um, yeah, really being able to ask questions around, is this serving me? Does this add value to my life? Um, why is this feeling coming up in my body every time I talk to this person? Is it trying to tell me something that I'm getting a fight or flight response or that this is causing anxiety or that it's reactivating a trauma from childhood and I'm reliving that trauma and allowing myself to continue thinking that this is healthy when it's not. The more we can ask ourselves questions, I think the better off we are. And the truth is we always have the answers within us. 
and you know, I can speak specifically, specifically to hypnosis because that's what I do. Um, but one thing I love about it is I can theorize in my mind, all these things that could be going on. But at the end of the day, the client is always finding out the answers that's true to them because it's all within their mind. They just have some cobwebs in the way that are preventing that. So the more we ask ourselves questions, the more we challenge ourselves and do things that scare us, um, healthy, healthy things that scare us. I think the more that we can step into that place of empowerment and reprogramming those limiting beliefs. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I'd love to know if there's anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted to talk about. I know that on your website, you've got a free download. If people are feeling overwhelmed by stress and anxiety, we'll put a link to your website here and they can get that recording. Is there anything that you wanted to mention? How can people get a hold of you? Absolutely. Um, you can get a hold of me by email at emily at mysticrosemedicine.com. You can reach out from call or text um, at 971-978-7846. And you can check out my website, um, which will be linked in the description box below. And there you can set up a free discovery call if you have questions just about hypnosis or anything else that I offer as far as coaching or energy healing. Um, no obligation. I'm happy to always jump on a call and answer questions and geek out about fun, esoteric things that you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, or if you're interested in services, I'm more than happy to help in that way too. So um, yeah, and there is a free hypnosis recording on releasing unwanted stress, fears and anxieties that are holding you back. So feel free to go check that out as well. Fabulous. Thank you, Emily. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a review where you listen to your podcasts and share it with your friends. Thank you. New episodes every Thursday.